Uh, well, everybody know what today is? It's Communion Sunday. It's Communion Sunday today, and we're just so excited about celebrating uh, the most important event in the history of humankind is the resurrection, or the crucifixion, rather, of Jesus Christ. Um, you know, a, a lot of sermons, and indeed the scripture itself, talk about what we must do. Um, Ephesians 5.10, verse we quote a lot around here, it says, find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. And then, of course, Jesus said in Luke 10.46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? So the scripture has a lot to say. A lot of the scripture is instructive. It's prescriptive. It's uh, telling us what we must do to have the life that God wants us to have and to please and honor God and to connect with one another and treat other people with respect and dignity. Uh, since we do like wisdom, <laughs> I'm grateful for the elements of the gospel that teach me how to be and what to do. However, the celebration of communion is a look away from the focus on what I'm to do or what I have done. It's a focus away from anything to do with my performance. In the New Testament, I mean, in the first century, I meant to say, in the first century, they begin to call communion the Eucharist. And um, anybody know what the word Eucharist means? What? Grateful, that's right. Grateful. It means grateful, or some people say thanks. So you don't say thanks. You, know, you, you don't, like, clean the house from top to bottom. And then when everybody comes home, say thank you. Thank you for letting me clean the house. <laughs> no, they say thanks, because you did the work. So it's their, it's their turn to offer the Eucharist, the gratefulness. So, if, it's the, if the Eucharist is gratefulness, as Jim Butler told us, or thanks, if it's gratefulness or thanks, it means you didn't do anything. It's not about your performance. Celebration Sunday, you're going to get a day off from any correction today. I, I, you're going to get a day off from any, any correction or chiding or you need to go do this or you need to do this better. Next Sunday, we'll be right back at it. But you get a day off from being lectured. Today's all, today is not about do. It's about done. I call this the big done. Watchman Nee, um, in his outstanding book, uh, Set Walk Stand, it's about the process of maturity in the Christian life. Great book. <clears throat> he said this, <clears throat> Can somebody grab that water for me? I saw it over there. Watchman Nee said in his outstanding book, Set Walk Stand, sitting describes our position with Christ in the heavenlies. Walking is the practical, thank you, sir. Walking is the out, practical outworking of that heaven, heavenly position here on earth. Christianity, he said, is an odd business. If at the offset we try to do anything, we get nothing. If we seek to attain something, we miss everything. For Christianity begins not with a big do, but with a big done. He goes on to say in that same book, we don't work for victory, we work 
from victory. And of course, we know some will look at the accomplished work of Christ and say, you don't have to, you don't have to be obedient. And that's, that's true, you don't have to be obedient because Christ did the work. But if you are truly grateful, you will want to be obedient. So obedience, obedience is not for victory, it's from victory. O- obedience is not for God's approval, it's from God's approval. And that, th- that's what love is. Th- that's what romance is. It's when you are motivated by what has been done for you. And that is what a true mature Christian is. A true mature Christian is someone who really gets it. And is not working to get to heaven. Not working for eternal life. But doing and working and performing because they have eternal life. How can you not be transformed if you know what Christ has done for you? If you grasp the miracle of the cross, how can you not be transformed? But how can you not but be transformed by that? I, it's impossible. People who sustain those success for a long period of time know they have to stop and celebrate once in a while what's been done. Once in a, if, you, if you're going to run a successful company, you've you got to have times in your company, in your organization, when nobody works, they just celebrate. You've got you to have an awards night. You've you got to have a, a company picnic. You've you got you to have a time. Your marriage is the same thing. You, your, your life with your children is the same thing. You've got you to have days of grace. Well, there all should be days of grace, but you know what I mean. Jesus said, or John, uh, Jesus said in, uh, in the book of John, he's recorded as saying, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him. Pardon me, Jesus didn't say it, but it, uh, the writer of the book of John recorded this. The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world he didn't say, go look at all these people who work off all their sin. Go look at all these people who have worked hard enough that God will finally forgive them for their sin. As far as I know, Christianity is the only religion on earth that you do not have to work to attain status. That you begin with status. It, 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 the closest analogy that I think we have as a human being is, is in a good family, a mo- which most families are at least good enough, that, that a baby is born, the baby is the star. Right? The baby, the, the baby gets catered to. The baby's not questioned. If the baby cries, we've got to do something about it. Right? Because the baby is king. In a, in a normal, healthy family, the baby is king. Now, now when they're two, we start be slapping around a little bit, you know? Not really. I mean, we'll slap them around. You know what I mean? Figuratively speaking, we slap them around. Started making demands on them. But, but when they're born, and, and that's, kind of, that's a pretty good analogy for the kingdom of God, is that I come in as a child of God, fully, fully, fully vetted as Christ was vetted, fully uh, privileged as, as Christ was privileged. When when God looks at me, He sees His Son. 
He sees Jesus when he looks at me because if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things are passed away and all things have become new. He sees me in Christ. That is an amazing, amazing miracle that's happened. He said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is the one I meant when I said a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Paul kind of says the same thing in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and we had, when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance. Remembrance means to rethink. That's what we're here today. We're going to rethink what this is really all about and how this all got started. In Matthew 26, 29, Jesus explaining uh, about, uh, that I'm about to do something for you that's going to change you forever. If you read the other verses and, and, uh, the, uh, and the other Gospels and, and you put them side by side and you read everything that happened, uh, Jesus might as well have said at the end of this, you are, you are not, not only are you going to do nothing in the next few days, not only are you going to not contribute to what, what's about to happen that's going to change the world, not only are you, not only are you going to set it out, one of you is going to actually betray me and deny you even know me. You're going to really mess up in the next few days. You're, you're, you're going to act as unworthy of this as ever, but I am the Lord and I'm not going to change and I'm going to do what you could never do. I'm going to do what you don't have, you don't have the will to do. You don't even have enough desire to do. I'm going to do it for you. I am going to become your righteousness. Done. Christ. Last earthly words were, it is finished. What's done? Forgiveness of your sins is done. It's done. You're forgiven. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, and according with the riches of God's grace. Access to the throne of grace. Done. Hebrews 4.14, since we have a great high priest who has entered the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. The high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of, the gracious, of our gracious God. There will we receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help when we need it most. Access to the throne of God has been made possible by what Christ has done on the cross. A stable foundation for relational community. It's done because the basis of our acceptance of one another also is not our performance, not how likable we are, not whether we have the same interest or we like to do the same things. The basis of our connection this morning with one another is Jesus, the blood of Jesus relates us and affiliates us in ways that is deeper than any interest group, any family ties, any personality uh, compatibility. The blood of Jesus supersedes, exceeds all of those connection points, socioeconomic status. The blood of Jesus succeeds all other ways of bringing humans together and making them one. Nothing makes people, it brings people in agreement and community and fellowship 
and loving support of one another like the blood of Jesus. Christ himself, he brought peace to us. Ephesians 2.14, he united us, Jews and Gentiles, into one people. When in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. And finally, I suppose the list could go on, so maybe it's not finally, but you don't... You want the sermon to be enduring but not everlasting, so we'll stop with four. A secure life purpose for time and eternity. Live for Jesus. It's not just a little tagline that you put in a song or that a preacher preaches to um, give some direction. Live for Jesus is good news. I have a purpose. I have a purpose that's going to transcend time and last into eternity. I have a purpose that matters. I have a purpose that will not lead me into some dysfunctional, toxic ideology that will ruin my life and ruin my community and my children and my, and my family and destroy my legacy. I have a purpose for living that's coherent, a purpose for living that, that, is, that, that is complementary, a purpose for living that builds up the human race, a purpose, living, purpose for living that, that actually creates, when it's done properly, when a, when a person and a community and a community of persons live for Jesus, it creates a flourishing life for that community. It, you can't stop it, as, as we see, and I don't want to get off into talking about the culture today, but I will say this, I believe we're in a moment of anti-culture. We're in a moment where we are trying to become a culture of death instead of a culture of life. But life is going to win. I said life is going to win because Jesus died on the cross. Jesus crucified sin forever. It's just a matter of time before we bury it. However, Christ has given each of us a special ability, it says. Whoever he wants to, whatever he wants us to have out of his rich storehouse of gifts. Notice that it says he returned to heaven. This means that he had first come down from the heights of heaven, far down to the lowest parts of the earth. And then we jump to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we shall live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. That means our purpose will extend into eternity our funerals are truly promotions having made that point that Christianity starts with a big done it's also a big doing you see God operates in eternal time not ordinary secular chronological time to properly experience Christianity you must learn to separate and treat as sacred God's moments from ordinary, chronological, secular moments. That is what that sermon series, God Stories, was all about. It was all about when you have a God moment and a God story, and you will retell it and rethink it the rest of your life because eternity has invaded chronological time. 
Eternity has invaded time and space because God doesn't live in time and space. God doesn't live in chronological linear time, but God lives in forever time. God's and everything God does is always in the now. It's always in the now. So when something of God happens to you in your life, and you, everybody's nodding because you know exactly what I'm talking about, you have a moment that's a God moment in your life. With your, if, if, I want you, you've got to read Sarah Cowan's book. Because she, talks about, she talks about this, having these God moments with your children. When you have a God moment, you have it forever. That's why you will keep retelling it over and over and over because it's a moment when eternity invades time and space. It's a moment when, when, when you, you know what I'm talking about, it's when time stands still. There's even two Greek words in the New Testament uh, for time. One is chronos and one is kairos. Chronos is, chronos is time, you, you, you spend time and you spend it and you don't get it back. Because you're spending time. That's where we get the term wasting time. But when you step into eternity, you don't waste, you can never waste eternal time because it lasts forever. Anything that happens in God's eternal time is permanent and it will last forever and will be a part of your life forever and forever and forever. And that's what happened when Jesus stepped into time out of eternity. He brought eternity into time and he got crucified on a cross. And Jesus didn't just, it's not a historical remembrance, it's happening today. In God's economy, in God's, God's way of, uh, of calculating time, Jesus is being crucified today for your sins and for my sins. Because He's always... That's why Paul would say, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ live within me. Because He's saying everything that God has done, He's doing it all the time. He's crucified for my sins every day. He's rise, risen from the dead every day. Everything that God is doing, He's doing it every day. That's why the Bible says that when the heathens want to get rid of God, in Psalms chapter 84, it says, He that sits in the heavens laughs because He lives in eternal time. The word, the time has come. What will help you enter into and be transformed today by God's celebration of the death of our Lord is the understanding that human or ordinary time is a time that can be expended and can't be retrieved. But God's time, which is eternal and completely transcends the passing time, abides. This is why Paul could say, as I said a moment ago, I'm crucified with Christ. So, Paul talked about you know, Paul talked about those who were enemies of the cross. This means uh, that you can be a friend of the cross. If you can be an enemy of the cross, then you can be a friend of the cross. Uh, to be an enemy of the cross is to reject the cross. It's to reject the way of the cross. And when you reject the way of the cross, it's because you believe Force is superior to love. Judas was poster boy for enemies of the cross. It wasn't that Judas didn't believe in Jesus. Judas believed that Jesus was who he said he was, but he rejected the way of submission. He rejected the way of obedience. He rejected the way of voluntary suffering. He would only accept a strategy of power. Judas' suicide was a stark admission that he realized he had gotten it all tragically wrong. 
I refuse to get it wrong. I will glory in the cross. I refuse to get it wrong. I refuse to believe that power is the greatest thing. I refuse, I insist that obedience and sacrifice and love is the greatest thing there is. I will glory in the cross. I will glory in the cross. We're going to sing some old songs. You might know them better than I do. Can I just interrupt? The songs they're about to sing were not written to be listened to. Now, there are songs that are performance songs, and we love them. They're written to be listened to. These songs are not written to be listened to. These songs are written to be sung. So I want to invite you. You say, I don't sing very well. Well, the Bible says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. So I'm going to invite you to lift your voice in glory in the cross. church. Anybody here? Uh, did anyone here not get served? Does everyone have the communion elements? If you if you don't, raise your hand, and the ushers will looking out for you. They'll get them over to you. Hey, you want to take this communion cup and turn it up so the host is on top, and we're going to pray over the body of our Lord Jesus. Father, Father, we thank you. Thank you. That the mystery of the cross is revealed to us, not in human understanding. Lord, this which is foolish to man is wisdom with God. 
I thank you for your body that was broken for me. I look forward to putting my hand in your nail-scarred hand someday. I look forward to seeing the scars on your brow where you allowed yourself to be disfigured in order to have humanity back in your grace and fellowship. Today, we celebrate the body of Jesus Christ. Let's partake. Corinthians, Paul said that when a man takes of the cup, he must examine himself to see whether he be in the faith. And the context there is uh, how, how we treat other people. And it's not about earning our salvation or working for it, but it's about letting the grace that's been given to you overflow to others. So I think there are two things here to consider. Are there sins? Every sin is somehow harmful to others. 
Every sin is based on a lack of love. Because something you're doing is harmful to another person. And I don't just mean hurt, hurting their feelings, because that's kind of become that's kind of become what people call hurt today, and which it can be, by the way. But um, it's actually when you do real harm to others. And uh, so, take a moment and examine yourself before you partake. Ask the Lord to forgive you. And if there's somebody in your life that you've getting, gotten all this grace, but you're not giving grace to, you're withholding grace, I want you to let that go. I want you to let that go. Right now, just emotionally let that go. I'm going to let that go. And I'm going to give grace at the same measure I've received it to other people in my life. I'm going to let things go. I'm going to forgive. Let's pray. Father, we look in our hearts and we tend to wander away from grace. I tend to wander away from your grace. I tend to wander away from love. I tend to get hard in my heart. So God, forgive me today and cleanse me of that. I take on your righteousness to cover my sin today and make me a channel of grace to other people who don't deserve it either. In Jesus' name, amen.
love song? God bless you. Thank you for participating and making this a wonderful communion service. Uh, thank you for your giving. There are four ways to give. You've been told about that already, so we appreciate that. And uh, you giving is unto the Lord. And go get your kids and enjoy one another. 